Hey, what's up, everybody? We got another really special episode for you, and we're actually bringing on for the second time Commander Jack Riggins, who was a Navy SEAL for 20 years, commander in the SEAL teams. Um, I mean, this guy's level wisdom, like we just had to get him back on and talk through some things, and we're going to go through mental toughness and mental resiliency, as he calls it, in this episode, and some really powerful things that you can really start to implement and really learn from, again, somebody who was doing this at the highest level, literally life or death. So, so much to be learned from this. I don't want to waste a second longer. So coming up, Commander Jack Riggins. Welcome to the Go Low Show, where it's about golf, grit, and your pursuit of greatness. My name is Kyle Aldrink, and I am your co-host, along with my man, John Weir, mental game coach extraordinaire. And in this podcast, we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game. And we're excited to bring you that show right now. Expect anything different? Is it his time? All right, it's time to go. All right, well, I'm excited to bring on for the second time Commander Jack Riggins uh, of Performance Mountain. And today we are talking about mental toughness, um, a topic I really wanted to bring you in on because, in my opinion, the Navy SEALs are probably the most mentally tough people in the world, literally doing things under life and death situation and performing at the highest level. So, uh, Jack, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I always love chatting about it. Hope it helps some people or gives them a perspective that uh, they can apply in their life and in their golf game. Well, and that's that's the nice thing about you too is you're a good player. And I know we were talking before that you're kind of working and retraining after some injuries and stuff, but it's it'd be interesting to talk about your own game and some things you've done to help other players, but also just tie that into some things you've learned from the SEALs and um, sure. I just, I don't think there's enough that we can learn from the SEALs, but you know, I guess the first question is like, wh- how do you define mental toughness and like, what's the value in it? Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you asked that because here's, what's funny is I'll try to describe it hopefully in terms that, uh, maybe will help people maybe grasp that aspect or what we're talking about. So it's funny that, and I'm the same way, like I understand when somebody says mental toughness, you hear it a lot in sports and things like that. What I would tell you is that at least inside a SEAL team, sure we have that term, but you know, when you break it down and you start talking about developing it or, or trying to hone it and trust it, we probably, the words that resonate better are mental resiliency um, or what I call like the ability to bounce back from adversity And then another word that I use in sports because sports can happen dynamically is focus refocus. Right. Um, And so that, you know, so instead of saying, you know, I'm mentally tough, um, I'm mentally resilient or I'm pretty resilient mind, meaning I bounce back and I, and I get focused, refocused better. Um, And if you think about it in those terms, I personally believe it's a little bit better a visual for people because, you know, there's always adversity in life. Um, we can be successful, but we have challenges. We struggle. Um, you take that to the golf course. 
and you know that that can be every shot that can be just things don't go your way um and it's the same thing in seal team i mean one of the things is is you know in elite military units you're constantly training um to failure and and in failure that can be very hard mentally to overcome um and to learn from and and so you get used to it and it's the same with combat right you know not everything goes your way in combat so you have to adapt so so you hear a lot of terms military like adapt and overcome well to me again focus refocus um already go into the challenge knowing that there's going to be hurdles there's going to be things you have to work around work through and so then to me mental resiliency um, is a better term. And the reason is when I think mental toughness, I can break something that's tough. I can break steel. I can break things. I can blow them up. I can, you know, if I'm so rigid or, you know, tough, that can be broken. Or in this, in a sense of a street fight, you can meet somebody tougher, right? There's always a tougher human being out there. A resilient means that you can take shots, you can take things and you can bounce back. And so I kind of like the visual of like a rubber band. How far can I stretch not break and, you know, be ready for the next shot, say in golf or the next movement in combat or the next evolution in training. And, you know, those type of adjectives, um, I think help our mind think about how, okay, how can I work on this? How can I develop this in my own life, my own practice? Yeah, I like that. So I guess the follow-up question is, is how important is that to really, play at your peak level? Well, yeah, I mean, it's super important. Obviously, I think we talked before and anybody that plays golf at any level understands, I mean, there is a physical mechanical aspect to golf, um, just like shooting, just like any skill set you have to learn, you know, but once you've achieved a certain level of that mechanical repeatability, the ability to, you know, swing a golf club, chip a golf club, putt a golf club, now we start to talk about other aspects of the game. And this is then where, you know, our mind and our expectation and our ability to focus and refocus and allow, you know, what we've learned mechanically, physically, mechanically to, you know, happen and happen with results that are inside, you know, hopefully what I call a tight shot group, which alludes to like what we all hear, you know, golf where people say it's a game of misses. Yeah, well, what that means is, you know, the better players have a, a better, tighter shot dispersion, or in SEAL team, we say shot group, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, or anybody that plays with guns out there. Um, and, and that's important. And so, you know, the, the better we get, and the more we try to strive for that, and then if we get into, whether it's your, you know, $5 Nassau, or whether it's an amateur championship, a city, or at the elite PGA Tour level, well, now we're, you know, we're having mind our mind is talking to us our self-talk we're thinking and you know that can cause us to go haywire you know our, our mind controls our muscles our body and so that can cause all of our hard training to not function at that high level so so what you see is you know the better you get the more you strive to achieve and reach you know your personal best um the more the mind is going to either help you or hurt you, right? Um, and I always, I always liken it to the beginning golfer who's really, really struggling, um, maybe just to learn the mechanics. And we've all seen them. They're hucking clubs. I mean, they're losing their mind. They're, they're 
walking off to the car. They're going home still pissed. There is nothing that that is helping learn the mechanical parts of golf here, there, and another thing, um, right? Instead of being able to diagnose maybe with a calm head what you're doing wrong, you know, maybe taking some notes again of what you can improve on or what you're working on right after those failures. Um, and then, you know, charting a course for the next day to, to cause that to happen. I mean, the one I see all the time is, you know, people with a right hand in their chipping stroke, right? So they're, they're trying to get the ball airborne. And I mean, they're just getting so frustrated. Well, I mean, that's, that's a choice. That's a lack of, you know, really grinding with mental resiliency and maybe you can't get it for that day, but you know, what I would do, what I always would tell my students is what did we learn from the failure? Okay. I've got it. I'm flipping my right hand. Okay. And if we, if we know that, or we need to get an expert to show us that, then get some drills, right. To take control of that and then go work on it. Right. And, but when we lose our mind or when we get angry, right, rarely are we able to, you know, analytically calmly think through the process when we go to the elite level, right? It's probably not going to be those problems, um, but it could be a fear of failure. It could be a fear of what if I win, this will change my life, right? And those equally, right, in our mind are our minds. So how do we handle those, right? And, um, and that's why, you know, I think golf in particular becomes a more cerebral game the more, you know, you not only hit your personal bests and keep going, but, you know, if you're an elite player out there, um, you know, and I know a lot of elite players that they haven't had to think they've just, they've really mastered the mechanical part of it. And they're really, really good. Um, but they can't kind of go to the next level. And a lot of times they've put no stock in thinking through themselves and their game and resiliency and focus, refocus, right. And learning the skills, um, and their value to golf. So can you talk a little more about, you know, the mental resiliency and focus, refocus, like what that looks like in golf, like kind of examples? Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the easiest one, right, because it's more on the far observable end and um, is Jason Day, right? So, you know, he's on an extreme end of what works for him. So number one, I want to say, you know, we'll go through some tips. But number one, it's very personal. So you have to find the skill sets within the window I'm going to talk about. You have to practice them. You have to refine them. And then, you know, each time you refine them, you have to keep doing it till you trust it so that it works under competition, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But there's some core philosophies that we'll talk about. But, of course, go back to Jason Day. I mean, he's, he's using breathing techniques to keep himself calm. Um, He's visualizing every shot, right? I mean, he uses eyes closed. He visualizes it. He's talked a lot about it. You know, it's a very deliberate pattern, right? And then, you know, I would hope all golfers listening understand the importance of routine from the fact of like when it's go time and you step into the ball, it's the same way every time. Most of the most elite golfers on the planet, we can time it. And, you know, it's within a half second, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's 17 seconds, 15, 33. And so a lot of these guys and their coaches can understand if they're under stress because they're off their timing, right? They're early, they're late, uh, an extra waggle here. 
Um, but I'm talking about before that, you know, so he would be an example of a very thorough guy, correct? Mm -hmm. um, other people, they've honed the, you know, see the shot shape, maybe real quick visualization, step into it, see target, go, right? Other people, it might be internal cues that they're saying to themselves, you know, see it, feel it, trust it. I know these are cliche golf terms, but they're cliche because a lot of people at elite level have used them sure. and you find the words. Other people, it's an internal mantra, right? So they're using same thing. They're talking to themselves. Self-talk is what we call that skill set, but they're just doing it internal. Um, and so these are ways, breathing, visualization, you know, positive self-talk to keep you focused or to get you back from, I'm not focused, I'm talking to refocus, focus, right? And then when it's done, it's done, you know, but some people we have to put in things where we decompress. So John Rom would be the most visual example over the last two years of a guy that, you know, after the shot gets real fired up um, and he's releasing it, maybe sometimes inappropriately, but he's not carrying it to the next shot. Now we know John Rahm has actually gotten better at that, right? He's acknowledged it publicly and he's working on it. But at the same time, that's not a negative thing to release the frustration, right? Because sometimes we need to do that, but there's better ways to do it, but he's sure. essentially getting it out and carrying it forward. Correct. Mm -hmm. You know? And so, you know, when you look at that, you look at this kind of cycle and ask yourself, you know, in a, in a deliberate planned way that I've trained, or do I need to start training so I can get to the point of a Jason day or some of these elite guys and, you know, understanding how your brain talks to yourself through performance, through practice sessions, you know, do I have a routine? Don't I have a routine? What is my routine? You know, write it down, right. practice it, say to yourself, I'm going to hit a hundred balls today and give myself a one or zero based on did I do the routine? Because it just doesn't happen. You have to build it. Um, you know, do I visualize a shot one or zero? Um, you know, and you do these things practicing breathing. Do you not, do you know breathing techniques or don't you, you know, in seal team, we use four in hold for four out for four hold. Um, it's commonly called combat breathing. Uh, my psychiatrist, sports psychiatrist, business partner, he prescribes to a four and six. Um, and, you know, we kind of teach those to people and some lean towards one or the other. Um, understanding the difference between how you and I are talking and breathing now opposed to, you know, deep belly breathing. So I took over my sympathetic nerve system and I just tugged and I, you know, I do this all the time, but I have to think about tugging on my diaphragm to pull it down and, you know, entrusting the science behind that relaxing me. Um, and so, you know, part of this is understanding the science behind it, understanding the um, fact that almost all elite performers and everything are using these and then going out and experimenting or researching if you need to and practicing them until you find what works for you and then adapting no different than your mechanical golf swing. Right. So as a seal, like how much of the time did you do in training with that stuff with your self-talk with your breathing techniques? 
I mean, how much of an emphasis or what even percentage of your training was about that? And then part two of that question is, was that a focus when you're on a mission of, are you actually aware of your breathing or is that just something natural because you trained it? Well, you, I mean, you'd be aware if, if you were out of kilter, right? If you were off focus, um, if the stress in our case, we use it a lot because, uh, high stress environments and you, you know, maybe you get a little too amped up or, or something throws you off your focus. Um, for us, the way it was generally taught, um, is no different than I think in the civilian sector. I mean, a lot of experts come in and it's through educational seminars. Okay. Um, it's through different professionals, um, just kind of like I'm talking. And so they're laying out, this is the information, you know, here's who it works for this, that, and another thing. And then, you know, we take that on and we begin the process that I described of experimenting within ourselves. Certainly when you have a group of 20 guys that have all uh, been through the same type of training seminars, if you will, um, it's going to become a thing of discussion and self-discovery now where we're learning or we're using the techniques and, you know, and, and some guys venture off into something else, some guys this works for. Um, and then I would say every year, at minimum every year, you know, we had an entire day of seminars from experts, a lot of times from the sports world, uh, sometimes from the science realm. Um, and so we were always trying to basically steal best practices that are out there. And then of course we'd go apply them. And then, um, you know, since we train much like a golfer, you know, we, we practice our craft in seal team, you know, we, we train to it as groups. And then of course we go do it. I mean, you weren't going to have it on a combat operation if you hadn't trained it and honed it, you know, weeks, months, years before. And so then once I think, you begin to find what works for you. Um, you know, you start to trust it and it just becomes a part of your skill set that you use all the time, you know, breathing to me. Um, and I still do it in golf. I still do it in other things. You know, it's as much a skill as pulling the right club and then, you know, sweet, you know, I, I really don't see any different. It's just a skill set to help me perform. Um, you know, when I need to now, I, the circumstances can dictate that like, I'm better probably than most people at understanding when I'm a little off or keyed up and, you know, trying to prevent that because performance requires you to kind of be at, a, at an excited, but level state. So, you know, and visualization that can be more formal for us because we're planning operations. And so after you've drawn everything down and, you know, planned it, you know, you may do a exercise where you talk through it with everybody, which is a form of, you know, verbal, visualization, you know, you'll hear the military talk about sand tables. So we'll all be around a sand table and we'll talk through our parts of the operation as it goes along. No different really than a practice round in a caddy, looking at the train, writing it in a book, you know, being realistic about your shot shape and where you're going to want to hit the ball in your windows. So, you know, I'm not telling everybody to go out there and chart their course and do all of that. Um, but you can, uh, my only thing would be just do it timely and efficient. So you don't slow down the game, but now we're just not hitting the ball to hit the ball. I mean, there's a plan and if it doesn't go right, you know, what are my thought through courses of action, you know, that I'm going to do to recover from that, to get the lowest score. I mean, how many times, 
and I, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody. How many times do I say in a tournament round, okay, if I hit it in the trees and there's absolutely not a shot, you know, that I can pull off 80% of the time, I'm chipping it out. And of those 10 times I do that, eight, eight of them, I say that to myself, walking up to the ball and I still go for the shot like an idiot. Right. And it's like, come on, you're better than that. Like chip it out. No worse than five. We can recover from that. Um, but I mean, those are mental th- games we play with ourselves in this game. And, um, and, you know, some of us watch a lot of Phil Mickelson and go, let, let's just go for it every time. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, to me with golf, you know, the pre-shot routine, the routine all the time, you know, train it, know it, love it, make adjustments as required, you know, visualization, understanding, you know, what you want to do, being committed and then, okay you know, breathing is probably the best thing that helps us kind of get in that calm state. You know, you let it fly and then, you know, give yourself some feedback and, uh, and learn from every shot. You know, uh, the thing I've always been amazed at with the most elite players is they can describe shots from the feel to the, this, to the, that at a much deeper level than the rest of us that would be no different. I can describe seal type things at a much deeper level than most people. Well, why do I say that? It's, it's think how much more feedback they're getting just to themselves, you know, in describing and, and analyzing what they've done and what they haven't done. Um, and then of course they're putting that back into the feed loop to go train tomorrow or go train right after the round. Well, I think that's something that a lot of players, um, lack i guess i mean i don't mean to be harsh to players listening but like they everything becomes black and white like it was good or bad you know and they have a hard time right. just stepping back and learning from that and it, it's it's good to hear you guys say like you always were trying to fail so you can learn from it yeah they're not trying to fail it's probably not the right way to say that but like you're oh, said pu- i would your- say push yourself to you're pushing yourself to a level of uncomfortability in order to make a positive change that may result in a, a near-term failure so then you can learn, right? Right. And and I think that a lot of people look at that failure like I'm not doing well. Right. You know, but it's that's the thing. It's like when you can make the choice and embrace that and accept that, like that's making me stronger. You know, yeah. where I look at it like working out, you know, if I'm benching 200 and I can only get five reps up, you know, like, like and I'm trying to get 10, <laughs> that's not necessarily a bad thing. It yeah, but two, got- two or three weeks from now, you're at seven. And right. then you're at, you know. And, and I think that you, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to make the analogy to weight training, you know, number one, anything we're doing, you know, in an athletic endeavor, you know, nobody ever plays anything at a straight line. You know, it's a sine curve. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. If we focus in, you know, and it looks say like a tiger woods, it looks like a straight line. Well, no, the truth is it's just got small up and downs. It's got small waves, right? Elite player, you know, small waves. You know, I, I can be up high and down low, you know, looking at the score, looking the way I hit the ball. Um, so you have to, you have to kind of, again, go back to plan out what you want, what you're capable of and think about it in the ways of, you know, in weight training in general, you know, we're talking three months before major game. I mean, you're going to see gains, but if you stick with it for three months, you know, don't look at anything at the end of three months, you're going to be satisfied if you follow the plan right? You've made this gain. If you looked at each individual day, you might not see much. You may even have those days where you go backwards and you're just not strong. Your body's not feeling it. You know, golf's the same way. 
you know, if you're trying to make adjustments, just because you took a putting lesson the day before, doesn't mean you're draining all putts. You know, I would say, well, what was the putting lesson on? Lag putting, getting the ball of the hole, you know, every time 20 feet and in, you know, not to that nice, you know, uh, capture speed that's perfect. You know, what is it you're working on? And so one, I think a lot of golfers don't specify, you know, what they're working on. You know, saying I'm trying to get a better golf swing, okay, that's the like strategic long-term thing. Well, I can tell you right now, like I'm making a major overhaul. I'm trying to get my hands deep as I can and, you know, essentially in line with my heels behind instead mm -hmm. of playing from like a three-quarter position that I had to build over the years because of injuries. Okay, that's specific. And that's what we're working on. And until we get that, we're not moving on, right? Because I, I can do it. I'm not confident with it, but that's where I've got to get, right? And then we'll go to the next things. But, okay, trying to take that to the course, you're going to see a lot of random stuff, you know? And, I, and what's your expectation? Mine right now, I just told you, get my hands back on my heels as deep as I can with a full turn. That's the goal. That has nothing right. to do with what I shoot. That has nothing to do with anything. Because if I start to venture from that goal, you know, I can play from a three quarters position, but it's not very, it's handsy and it's, it's all over the place. It's erratic. And I don't want that. I want, I want to make a change that's consistent and I'm seeing progress and I'm on like day 40. Right. And in my own mind, I've said, we'll give it three months. So I kind of go back to the weightlifting thing. Like, okay, we're going to, you know, hopefully I learn it and feel it, you know, and it becomes the new pattern quicker than that. But in my own mind, I'm like, I'm not really going to self-judge and get too critical on that one piece. And, you know, you go look at Tiger, right? I mean, he would tell you years, you know, a couple, like a year and a half before he felt comfortable with the new swing. Okay, so he plays golf every day. He's the best in the world. And I know he's, you know, mastered a lot of the things of the golf swing maybe most of us haven't but we're not talking about being Tiger Woods. We're talking about the philosophy and the way to play your best, you know, have the right mindset when trying to make a change or essentially, you know, climbing the mountain as I, I love that analogy. Um, yeah. You're going to fall down sometimes, you know, but unfortunately what we do is we do it for a week. We go away from the drills and we give up on it. And I've just never seen a group like golfers where, they refuse to change even though they want to change and you ask them you say well you know this how's this been working out for you right <laughs> they're like wow oh. um but there's a process to it and that's what i'm trying to say is there's a process to it and you know we've got to hone in on that and the, and the change will come there's no doubt about it i mean if you look at your weight today and judge it, it might be a little better a little worse than last week if you stick with the plan for three months i can guarantee you your bench press will be better than it is today so in talking about that training and and building skill and things like that so kind of reverting back to a question i asked a little bit ago is how much of you know the i guess the mental side going mm -hmm. into that or is it pure tactical so like when you're talking about shooting and things like that is it purely just that or are you still implementing some of the performance side of the self-talk and the breathing and Things no, like that, or you're, is you're a hundred percent always integrating the mental side. A hundred percent. I mean, there's mm -hmm. never a time off. I mean, you might screw it up and then it causes you to do something silly in the tactical side, but 
it's always integrated into each individual and each group thing we do. Um, does if you're you know if you're not doing it well does it blow an entire training mission or operation um maybe not because they're so complicated and you have teammates that can make up for you um but oftentimes um it's noted and then you have to make an adjustment off of somebody's you know lack of situational awareness or maybe their lack of um keeping in the right you know keeping in that focused arena um so for us, you know, it's every time. And what I would tell you is no matter what you want to say, guns, explosives, diving, jumping out of planes, you know, whatever creates, you know, a cool operation, you know, it is 80, 85% foundational work. I tell people all the time, we're the best at what we do because we have an obsessive pursuit of the basics. Right. And if we can't master those over and over, we can't move on to the next, you know, medium, hard, elite. And then, you know, we do that as a group individually, as a team in our in our training cycles, which the Navy works on about two year cycles um, with the last six to eight months being, quote unquote, the game or deployment. And then guess what we do? We come back, we rest a little bit, we go back to foundational work. I did the same things at year 12 that I did at year one for a good year, foundational work. Um, and so you become what I call a master of the basics. And that's not just tactical, that's mental resiliency, focus, refocus, you know, as an individual, as a group, um, using the skills of breathing, visualization to you know, enhance my skills, whether it be shooting, you know, whether it be, you know, my knowledge and application of explosives or tactics, um, you know, and you just keep using that methodology um, to keep bettering yourself and refining yourself. Well, and I mean, you know, this very well too. Golfers like to jump to what's sexy. You know, mm -hmm. they want to see the stuff on social media or they want to jump to, Oh, my, my swing planes off or, you know, they want the, the very fancy stuff, but um, a lot of times they're overlooking, you know, maybe just maybe my grip's a little off, maybe the ball position's off or sure. alignment's off, you know, and I think the more complex that the tactical side of golf has gotten, the more people forget about those things. And I yeah. think the ones that really truly stand the test of time. And actually I just did a, a podcast with Tony Rosario, who's uh, coaches tour players and mm -hmm. has a hotbed of talent in Alabama and, that was the one thing he said is that's the difference between like the really elite players and the not, they're all pretty good with their swings, but the elite pays so much attention to detail in the basics right? where most others are unwilling to do it. Yeah. Well, and, and the truth is, is I have this conversation a lot with people. It's boring. <laughs> Doing the basics is boring. Um, and that, and that then causes the mind to wander and, and go seek other things. Um, yet it is, the thing that holds up under pressure. Right. And so that's why we focus on them. That's why the elites focus on them because they're trying to compete at their best under pressure as I was in seal team, as they hopefully still are. And they work because all the complicated stuff doesn't hold up well under pressure. And we go back to, you know, the great old special operations or seal saying is that we don't ever rise to occasions. We fall back on our training. Right. And so, yeah, 
you talk to players that have played, you know, at the tour level or the AM level, listen, you, you won't be able to feel your club if it's worth something to you. You know, the first couple of times you do it, you'll get better the more you're in contention in something. Um, you know, your, your tendencies, whatever they are, negative that destroy your golf swing, they'll start to come out. So that's what we're really battling, right, is we're battling the everyday mundane and to master it and to get a set of eyes if required from a teacher to keep us on those. Because, I, I mean, I've done both. Um, golf, without a doubt, is the only sport, uh, diff- same with SEAL team, different than SEAL team, that, you know, feel is not real. Mm-hmm. You lose your perception of what you're doing in self very quickly in golf, you know, uh, and that's why teachers and other people that understand your swing really can help then get you back to that. Because, you, you know, if you can't feel what you are really doing, you really get lost out there. And so, you know, golf is a sport where it's very important not to venture too far from that. Unfortunately, yes, we tend to maybe through marketing. I mean, I, you know, this is not a knock on the golf publications, but I've laughed over the last 20 years. I've been obsessed with this game that they basically can put a new cover on it and publish the same stuff every month, maybe with a different teacher. It's all right there, but people look at that and then that's, that's where they're at. And it's not even what they need for their own game. I mean, because mm-hmm. we're chasing something we need to be chasing what is specific to our game. And, you know, and I think a lot of people really need to understand what you said. You know, my experience has been golf is a game of basics and, and mm. attention to detail, maybe, maybe the most cruel. And, right. um, you know, if you want to get a little better, those are the things you've got to focus on. And if you don't know what they are, there's folks like you that can help them out. Well, and yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that was on my list of things I wanted to talk to you about because that's something that I've, you know, I've read from seal books and, you know, I know you've mentioned it, that falling back on your training, I think it's such a powerful thing to understand because essentially how I've taken that is like, you got to elevate the standards of your practice if it's going to translate into performance, you know? So like, I kind of say it as you're always going to be better in practice than you are in the course. You're always gonna be better on the course than you are under competition. You know, that's where you're going to be kind of, I don't want to say your worst, but that'll be your lowest level of performance. So like the, standards of your practice got to be elevated. And I think a lot of times golf is flipped. Like they have such low standards in practice and they just kind of go out and hit balls and like, all right, it looks good. And they go out at competition and think they're just going to kill it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, and everybody comes to the game with a different level of whether they're playing social golf or, you know, they're trying to compete at an amateur level um, or they're just local Sunday money game. Um, But make no mistake about it. Like, again, golf itself, forget your other players. Golf itself brings that out in you. You know, you, the ball, and the course. The course is enough to crush anybody, mm-hmm. let alone competition. And so, you know, I have a guy I'm working with, um, you know, for my own golf game. So he's helping me. Um, you know, you've got to be able to do it on the range. Then you've got to be able to do it on the course. Then you've got to be able to do it under competition. I mean, that's so true, right? And ideally, they all look pretty much the same. Um, but like you said, I mean, I know, and many other players, you know, is a, is a decent amateur that loves a game. You know, most times I tee it up with people if it's a little money game. I just have to stay consistent for 18 holes because the training and the dedication, you know, pays 
it's off. You know, every once in a while, somebody gets lucky in a banker game. Um, but, you know, if you extend that out to 36 holes, you know, again, he who masters the basics and sticks with it wins. Um, and so it just depends on, on what you want to do. But if your goal is to, you know, enjoy golf as it was intended, as a game to shoot the lowest score you can, that's about you and the golf course. Um, all these things apply, right? right. And, um, and you're absolutely right. Like, once you get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm pretty good. Well, then go join a, a scratch tournament. <laughs> and then, you know, see what your score is. And, uh, and rarely is anybody, you know, lower in tournaments, you know. And that's even true for the tour pros, right? I mean, you've probably been around tour pros in these league guys. I mean, I see these guys in practice rounds shooting six, seven under all the time, you know. Yeah. And then they go to tournaments, it might be two under. It might be two over. Um, right. And that's golf. So I got one more question, and then I just have a couple kind of audience questions, I guess, that some people typed in when oh, I posted cool. we're going to be. Yeah, so I guess my last question to kind of go on our topic is, you know, how do you golfers build mental resiliency? Because we can't train with live gut fire. You know, we, it's hard sure. to simulate. Um, it's hard to simulate pressure in golf. So I think it's one of the hardest things to do. So sure. what are some strategies, I guess, that you could give golfers to learn that skill? Because, I mean, as we both agree, it's super important. Yeah. Um, number one, there's, you know, there's a lot written on it, right? I mean, from from golf people that have helped, you know, Bob Rotella would have the biggest name. Um, so my number one thing would be get yourself educated on it, right? Just mental resiliency, resiliency in general. Um, you know, even if it's not a golf book, but a lifestyle book because the same principles can apply if you choose to use them in golf. Um, so get educated on it. A good, a good part of resiliency begins with, with understanding your own brain and you know, how you function, what makes you happy, angry, sad, frustrated. Um, and so, you know, some of these may seem like silly little thoughts, but there's a lot of great writings out there. A lot of great, you know, you can just YouTube videos. Um, always a good practice you see in the common folks or the elite folks is understanding a meditative practice. Why? Because it helps you in meditation, understand how your brain, you know, thoughts come in, they come out, you know, how to be non-judgmental in a meditative practice. And you don't have to do it for very long. Another key component will be what we already talked about is, you know, understanding and finding a couple of breathing patterns that help uh, keep your fight or flight at, an, at a really acceptable level so that you're not off the hook. Like I said, I think mm -hmm. I'll never change from my four by four breathing, um, but there's many other out there. And then the other one is deep belly breathing, a, another skill set that you want to learn and practice. The great thing is with meditation is you can do a meditative practice early in the morning, anytime, five, 20 minutes, whatever you like. And you can practice breathing at the same time. You, you know, usually they come hand in hand. Um, the other one is, you know, the, the, the power of visualization. Um, with our athletes, I mean, we've seen um, tremendous gains by just visualizing performance literally on EKGs and things that you can test with athletes and from muscle growth and learning to muscle memory without even doing the exercise, like literally deep visualization imagery of your own swing or putting. Um, the last one I would say is then understanding, you know, the cycle of self-talk 
and you know, are you an extreme negative talker? I've talked about this before. The science doesn't change. We have 50,000 thoughts a day on average as human beings. Okay. The elite performers have a three to one positive self-talk ratio, how they think about themselves to other people where they're about four to one negative self-talk. So there's replacement ways, whether that's using positive words, you know, so that really should trigger people to go the way I think about myself and my golf game and the way I talk to myself is really, really important. Right. You know, and then this feeds into confidence and all of this stuff. So, you know, you go out there, you research, you kind of understand, you know, self-talk, meditation, visualization, breathing, and then you start to put into practice what works. Some people may already have a yoga practice and it's already built into that. Right. And you make up your own. Now you start to take it to the golf course and you go back to, okay, how can I apply this in my practice, in my games, um, so that it's not foreign to you. I mean, the first time you deep belly breathe shouldn't be in a match with your friends. It should be on the practice range. It should be you saying, okay, I'm going to hit, you know, challenge myself. I'm going to hit 10 shots and do this, that, and nothing. And inside of that, I'm going to deep belly breathe just to practice it. Right. And again, judge yourself on, can you do that? Or is your brain so all over the place that you can't, <laughs> right? And you're like, wow. Um, so, you know, again, get educated, start to experiment, set out a plan, you know, for daily and then take it to the course. And just like building a golf swing, write it down, troubleshoot, go back. And before long, it becomes the way that you do things opposed to some, Oh, this is quirky. I, I don't get it. Cause it's yeah. not hard stuff. It's just, we don't practice it. Yeah. And you're also going to find it makes your life better. Cause you can practice it when you're pissed off in the car, waiting in traffic in Chicago, <laughs> you can practice it when you're pissed off on the train or whatever, you know, you're having a stressful day at work. It works for every daily activity. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. All right. So a couple of questions that came in, and then we'll let you go. But one I thought was very interesting was um, when you feel like quitting, kind of talking almost in, you know, buds. And obviously there's a legend of hell week and all that stuff. So when you feel like you're ready to quit, how do you, how do you convince yourself to keep moving forward? Well, that's, I think we all deal with that kind of uh, mental, uh, I like to call it mental jackassery or the mentality. I mean, that's just kind of part of the human condition, but you know, what I've always found is you just do the next thing, right? I mean, we're in our mind at that point, our mind's talking to us negatively. We're frustrated. We're, we're all the things that we've talked, you know, an hour about, you know, have not worked for us mm. or, or we don't have these skills. Um, focus on the next small thing and just do it, right? Just take one step forward. Um, whatever it may be at a job on the course, um, you're frustrated because your score or you can't master something in the swing. Well, can you hit a little chip shot? You know, something next, next, right? So now we're getting back in a positive frame of mind. So I'll give you a classic example. I, I played in a pro-am this morning, okay? Got there a little late. I've been playing a lot of golf. So it was just kind of like, let's show up. I mean, I didn't really have an expectation, but I still like to play well, you know, First drives in the trees. Okay, not, not really a shot. Well, I want to get some swings. So it's like, go to chip it out, you know. Should have been real easy. Chipped it out, hit a tree branch, it stays in the rough. I'm like, oh, my God. Well, I mean, 
I can try to hit some heroic shot or I'm like, no, I need some positive things going here. I'm going to chip it out again, right? Take a bit, essentially the stroke, you know, and say some super, because I, I want to get a positive full swing, you know, chip it out, get a nice full swing in the fairway on the green, you know, two putt, take my bogey, you know, a little embarrassing, but that's the next thing, right? Like what can I do that's get me feeling better than the current state of I want out of here. I want to quit. Right. And so sometimes it's just all about what's the next little thing in our case, you know, we would be pushed to just take a step, crawl five inches, take a breather. Okay. Take crawl another five inches. So it's not so much that you are going to get your mind like snap back in. What's going to get your mind snapped back in is just doing the next thing that you don't want to do, right? Or that you're frustrated about, or just change the narrative. You know, I've, you know, I've hooked it. I've hooked it. This stinks. You know, I've got two out of bounds. All right. Out your five iron and hit it in the fairway. You made a nice swing. Oh, I'm capable of a nice swing. You know, opposed to standing up there, putting a driver in out of bounds, out of bounds. I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off a five iron down the fairway and move on. That's the next thing. Right. And so I think a lot of times when we get to that level where it seems like all the bells and whistles, we fail, we fail to think about what's just the next little thing I can do. And the dynamic may change or the next thing. And believe it or not, that, that kind of mindset of I can quit never lasts very long unless you let it. But what I gave you was a way to get out of that mindset to bring back why you enjoy being there, why you need to keep going, right? That's awesome. You got time for one more or you got to go? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. All right. Just one more and we'll let you get out of here because we got a bunch of questions. But this one I thought was really good too. Um, Did you ever have a mission that was you kind of felt was going wrong and had to kind of um, bring yourself back, I guess, or like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Damage control almost. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Yeah, things start to go I wrong and like, you had to like kind of collect yourself, I guess. And how did yeah, you do Yeah, sure. That? I mean, I think like get back on track. I mean, I think that happens actually quite a bit. I mean, I can't ever think of anything that uh, went perfectly to plan. Um, and maybe that's a lesson for everybody that no matter how much you plan things or no matter what you think is going to happen, the expectation is, um, you know, you have to be able to adjust and, you know, kind of roll with it or be what I discussed earlier, resilient and just expect that there's going to be some challenges. And what's more important is before when I'm calm, okay, how am I going to handle those challenges? Um, certainly for us, you know, we do a lot of contingency planning. Um, we have emergency drills to help us immediately react, but then you have to think through it. Um, and so there's been plenty of times where, um, you know, we have to jump into a building or something, obviously to get protection and then think through the next step, right? So go back to what I said in quitting, what's the next step we can do to get out of this current situation that's thrown us for a loop. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like success in anything or in golf or whatever, is a straight line or, or at least some kind of arrow that goes up. Um, you know, success is a, a, a real wavy line that, that stays within railroad tracks of your goal that sometimes goes backwards so that you can learn. Um, 
and it's really your job to get that then turned around and you know whether it's self mistakes or something that hasn't uh been foreseen um it's totally okay to take a combat pause that's what we call it um gather information reassess okay now move forward and so you know maybe what the audience is gathering maybe not is you know we're process driven you know it's okay you know, to think through it because processes and thinking through things is why we have this great brain of ours as human beings. If we don't use it. We're pretty much leaving the most important weapon we have on the ground. And so, you know, realizing that again, without judgment that, Oh God, um, you know, and then in our case, a lot of times it's just, you know, accomplishing mission, getting back home and safe and then whatever was, uh, wrong we fix. Right. I mean, that's just the way you do it. Hey, something didn't go right. Something, you know, I was off kilter. You were off kilter. We all were. Okay, let's look at that. Let's analyze it. Let's talk about it. Heck, if we got to call a professional, let's do that. And then let's get it fixed. So, you know, I think processes and calm times thinking ahead of things really helps reduce having that kind of anxiety, if you will, or, oh, crap, what are we going to do? Right. Well, Jack, we really appreciate it. Um, awesome insight as always, man. It's such a, such a powerful topic, but learning again from, you know, somebody like yourself is such a huge addition into, you know, the show. So appreciate you taking the time. I can't thank you enough for the years of service you put in. I mean, truly from the bottom of my heart, man, like, a, you know, for doing what you did and help keeping us all safe is I never take that lightly. So I probably overthank you, but I don't feel like I can overthank you. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. I I enjoy talking golf with you guys. I appreciate you giving me the platform. And uh, yeah, just remember for everybody out there, I mean, one, it is really about fun for us. Um, We do get frustrated, but in the end of the day, I mean, find little things to work on, work on them, master them, master the basics, and then, you know, move to the next step and the next step. And, and, you know, uh, golf's too enjoyable, even if you're just walking out there with your buddies to, to be pissed off when you go home or frustrated that you're going to quit. Um, just learn from it, you know, and, and again, use your, use your most important weapon, hone that baby, right? your brain. (laughs) Perfect. Well, thanks again, Jack. We'll let you go. All right. Appreciate it, man. Well, there you have it again. Longtime Navy SEAL commander, Jack Riggins. And I mean, just such powerful, useful things. When you really listen closely to the things he's saying, sometimes we can look at these things and be like, man, that seems so basic, but it's really that that attention to detail and the basics that is going to help you really get to that next level. It's not always about what's the most complex, what's the most new, and it's the ones that are really willing to do that, the ones that are willing to make the choice to toughen themselves up or get more resilient, to make your practices harder on yourself, you know, to practice to that level of failure and learn from it. It's super powerful stuff, and you've heard it on most of our shows um, and segments of this anyway, but, you know, again, these are the most important concepts to performance. Uh, really hope you enjoy the episode. And you can find Jack at uh, Performance Mountain. Uh, he also has a podcast called The Dark Side of Elite, uh, which is a very interesting show as well. So um, really wanted to thank you for, for listening in. We love you here at the Go Low Show. And until the next episode, just keep getting better, keep making those practices better, and just keep playing at that high level learning to go low. We'll see you soon.